Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokie sports. I'm Justin Cochiola alongside Tim Hurth. It's Wednesday, 11-11, and honestly, not going to be a super fun episode. Usually, it's Miami week. You relive the memories and the battles over the years. We're going to do that today, but not not with the sole intensive purpose of that that matchup. So, we discussed the Liberty aftermath and uh, you know really what to think going forward. We're going to recap ACC Week 10 action, take a look at Week 11. We do some lines. Uh, and uh, before all that, Tim, give me some, give me something positive to get started. What's going on? Um, let's see. Positivity. You know, man, it has been a not positive uh, week for me. You know, trying to think of something that I can draw upon to make things better. I really have nothing. Um, you know, it started off. The weekend was obviously ruined. Um by and large, you know, I have a hard time when it comes to my sports teams underperforming on the field. It, you know, it affects my mood more than it should, uh, more than a standard person. And I know we t- I talked to you about that before. Yeah, it's just it's total buzzkill for you know days afterwards. Um, you know, and I, I Monday it just it was a weird Monday. Uh, you know, Tuesday going into work. Um, you know, Monday was kind of work from home day. Tuesday going into work, still kind of in a funk. You know, my, my chickens are scattered, as it were, and on my car, uh, there is a a gas release. It's a work vehicle, so it's not my personal vehicle, not one I've driven a whole lot to this point. The gas release is on, like, kind of a lever to your left side, sort of near your knee, and that's how you get the, the, the gas door to open up so you can go ahead and, and fill her up. Well, right next to it is where the engine latch is. And that location is always where your engine latch is. I've never seen a gas door, you know, kind of switch next to the engine latch. You know what I'm talking about? Never do Mm -hmm. they touch like that. So this is new for me. So I'm pulling into the pump. I'm running late for work. You know, it's dark-ish, fuddling around down there. Must have hit the engine latch without knowing it. Uh, Popped the hood without realizing it. But I got the gas door open. Fill her up. Hop back on Interstate 81. I'm about two minutes down the road, and I realize my hood starts vibrating, like, real bad. And so I start freaking out a little bit. The the section of 81 between where I live and Harrisonburg, the guardrails are mostly hooked up real tight to the side of the road. So there's not a whole lot of room over there to pull over. Um, You know, my brain is elsewhere. I'm scrambled. I'm already having a, a, a cruddy day. So I'm driving down 81, sandwiched in between two trucks, two tractor trailers, and my hood starts vibrating like an absolute maniac. So I'm driving down the road, white knuckling, uh, leaning over the steering wheel, just praying that that latch holds in that my hood, you know, in the scenario in my head was a bit like, you know, the hood comes flying up. I can't see anything. I end up under one of these tractor trailers like in Chevy Chase Christmas Vacation when the station wagon ends up in between the two tires on the trailer um, being pulled down the interstate this kind of like awful death sequence is relaying in my head I've got three miles to the nearest exit to where I can pull over um, and go ahead and, and slam that 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 hood back down so let me tell you man I'm sweating it's like the inverse of the movie Speed where you couldn't you know you go down below or you know like what is it like 70 miles an hour and the whole thing blows up Oh, yeah. Well, for me, it was like the cars behind me. I mean, I couldn't go. It was 81. I had to at least go 50 miles an hour. But if I pushed the speed too much, I was afraid that the aerodynamics were going to cause the hood to blow back into my face. 
So you want to talk about just a tumultuous, tumultuous three minutes of my life. I mean, I was like borderline shaking and sweating when I finally got to pull over on the entrance ramp and slam the hood down. But that was the cherry uh, on the icing on the Sunday of my really craptacular weekend uh, that started obviously at noon on Saturday. Yeah, well, that sounds that sounds terrible. Um, it was awful. It's amazing. It awful. It's amazing how your perception at time of time can change based on what it is you're doing. Like if you're, yeah, you know, I don't know, doing some kind of activity. You know, it's like oh, time flies. But if you're in a situation like that, that three minutes feels like oh my, an eternity, dude. Excruciating. And I mean, I'm sitting there. I'm dressed fairly nice as I'm going to the office. I mean, my back just started just sweating profusely, right? And I mean, I am hunched over the steering wheel just praying because I, I was in a very precarious spot between tractor trailers, a very busy portion of 81 that I was on. And I just knew with the way my luck had gone, that hood was flipping over and it was all bets were off if that was going over. I was trying to like game plan in my head what kind of maneuvers to make, you know, and each time I think I got a good out plan, a car comes flying up to my right because I was on the left-hand side. You know, I was in the passing lane because I drive, you know what I mean? Yeah, obviously. Um, And every time I I would find an out, like see a seam in traffic, like, oh, I pull over here and get over the right-hand side of the road just in case. No, because I'm going too slow. So then people start passing me on the right-hand side of my vehicle, and I'm like, oh, boy. Oh, oh, this is hell. Well, this is hell. I'll say I'll say this. It sounds like you had a better ending than Virginia Tech did on Saturday. I did. So right. So the silver lining is. So that's the positive. I, uh, I asked for something positive I didn't, to get I didn't started, die. and you're alive. Yeah, that's it. That's the positive. I am present. All right. Well, end of podcast. Nothing to talk about here. <laughs> Sweet. Let's wrap her up. Yeah. So five star reviews. Uh, please keep reaching out to us, interacting with us on Twitter. Yada yada yada. All right. So here's Find us on here's Podbean. So you know, it's not going to be standard hey let's recap the game because I, I think we all know what happened i think there's bigger things at play here that we want to talk about and um you know we have I don't, to talk about i don't want to be that guy who's screaming into a microphone and you know calling for everybody's head and this and that so i'm just going to give you my thoughts as uh as they came to me and you know typically after a loss uh, i'll be pretty dejected that day the next day and I'll I'll move on you know life goes on I think if 2020's taught us anything we can uh, survive without sports even though it, it may not be the way that we you know want to survive but you know now speak for yourself it can actually occur like you can actually carry on um, and so sports are really just there as a distraction but man I gotta tell you it's uh I, I've just this loss has hit me differently I've just gotten angrier and angrier and angrier about the thought about about this game, and you know I don't care what the stats were, I don't care how many yards per play, I don't care what almost and what didn't happen. All right, blocked field goal return for a touchdown or not, there are major issues going on with the Virginia Tech football program. First things first, Tim. Liberty is liberty. We're, Indeed. we're Virginia Tech, okay? I used to drive past Liberty every time I'd go to school, you know, from beautiful Powhatan, Virginia, a little shout out, the country, and I'd drive. The cut. I'd drive right through 
Lynchburg. It was about an hour and 20 minutes from my house, and there was a little liberty right on my right on 460 as I'm heading up, going to Blacksburg, and never once did I think that school would even come close to competing with the program that Virginia Tech had. Wasn't even a blip on the radar. I covered high school football for WSLS in Roanoke back in 2009 as an intern. You know, had the Friday Night Lights. Got to travel to all these different high schools and, and do the Friday Night Football show with WSLS. And, you know, I remember going to Salem for the first time, and I was like, man, this, these are some impressive facilities. I felt like Salem yeah. High School had, a better, had better facilities <laughs> at the time than Liberty did. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to be funny. Like, I know. if you know anything about Salem, they, they care there. There is money going into that high school for football. And I, I don't know what they're doing these days. I'm sure they're good because they care about it. St- hey, Stag Bowl's coming back, baby. There you go. So I understand they've invested money. They're trying to build the program. They're in a different place than they were when I'm talking about them. But here we are. And Old Dominion didn't have a football program 10 to 12 years ago. Liberty was FCS. This is only their third year in the FBS. It, it just simply can't happen. I don't think Fuente's a bad guy. I like Justin Fuente as a person. I thought it was a good hire at the time. He had a couple of good years, which we're going to talk about here in a second. But it, it, it's very simple. In order for Virginia Tech to get out of this funk that they're in, there's going to have to be a change in leadership. It's just not working. And, you know, we said, hey, you know, well, everyone has a free pass in 2020. Well, you know, I think I'm going to uh, amend that statement. But unfortunately, and again, we'll talk about this in a second, he's not going anywhere. So no, no. Let's let's recap the Fuente era real quick, Tim, because I think that that is a must at this point. So, Sure, set the stage. When Virginia Tech, when Fuente got to Virginia Tech, it wasn't exactly a national championship contender. Okay? The last time that was really the case when Virginia Tech was a legit national title contender was 2007. Now, you had the 2010 season where they lost to Boise State and James Madison in the first two games of the season. Then they reel off 11 games in a row in typical Virginia Tech fashion, get to the Orange Bowl, get lit up by Andrew Luck, Jim Harbaugh, and the Stanford Cardinal. And then the next year they go to the Sugar Bowl and beat Michigan. The refs took it away. That was the last time Virginia Tech was even relevant, if we're being honest with ourselves, on the national stage. And so Fuente comes in. He brings in Gerard Evans wins the Coastal, takes Clemson down to the wire in the ACC championship game, loses, but it was really the start of Clemson's run, okay? And the Hokies go to the bowl game. They get down 24 nothing against Arkansas. They come back. They win the only bowl victory in Fuentes' era at Virginia Tech thus far. You flash forward to 2017. They start the season 7-1. and one. Lone loss to Clemson. They finish 2-3 and three down the stretch. That's 19-8 and eight in two seasons, including Tech's first 10-win season since 2011. So what? The future's looking bright. Let's give Fuente an extension. But then the rails start to fall off. You 
you already had players leaving, but now this like mass exodus of players starts. You've right. got the Galen Scott promotion, and then two months later, the extramarital affair blows up on social media. He gets fired. And then on top of it, you've got an even younger football team than you were planning on in 2018 because of that exodus. But you come into 2018, you dominate FSU on Saturday night, 24-3. You put up 62 against William & Mary. And then that's when the turning point in Virginia Tech football is. September 22nd, 2018. The road trip to Old Dominion. They go in there and they get housed. Oh, yeah. Housed. That ga- Punched it, in the face. That game was not close. Okay? No. I don't care if your quarterback got hurt. Again, you're Virginia Tech. The amount of talent that you're supposed to have on your football team relative to an old Dominion, it's not, you're not even in the ballpark. It's not the realm. Nope. They're not in the stadium. You lose by 14. That starts a two and six stretch before, if you do recall, a miracle win against UVA, a game they should not have won, but they did. In a last second game that had to be rescheduled because of the ECU hurricane debacle with Marshall to even become bowl eligible, and then they lose to Cincinnati, their first losing season since 92. Since the Old Dominion lost him, Virginia Tech is 16-15. and 15. Mm. His first two seasons in two games in 2018, 21-8. Beamer guys, some Fuente mixed in. And look at where we're at now. You include the ODU loss in that 16-15 and 15 record, two bowl losses, a loss to UVA, the Wake Forest loss this season, humiliating losses to Pitt in 18, to Duke in 19, and now this loss to Liberty. And let's, let's talk about the underwhelming wins. Let's look at last season. 24-17 <laughs> against Furman. Yeah. Furman, Tim. Whew. 30 at home, at your house. That was painful. Furman. 34-17 against Rhode Island. 31-17 against ODU. The 2019 schedule, Tim, was a freaking joke for the most part. It was. It was. And it started um, to tighten up after that Duke fiasco. So you go on. What happens after Duke game? Okay. What, well, what, happened, we, uh, what happened first before the Duke game? Who came to town, Tim? Uh, Jerry Kill. What are we talking about here? Jerry Kill came to town. The the hire before the Duke game. I thought you were talking about a team. No. Yeah, we we hired Jerry Kill uh, to clean up a mess, which it seemed like the coaching staff could not take care of themselves. Interesting. The coaching staff that we're paying so much money to can't figure it out on their own. We talked about the Jerry Kill effect coming into the season. What was that impact going to be without him? If you don't recall, Jerry Kill left to go coach under Gary Patterson at TCU. But you bring in Jerry Kill after the Furman game. You get, I mean, absolutely thrashed by the Duke Mm -hmm. Blue Devils on a football field. Okay? You turn it around because, oh, Hendon Hooker, I guess, can play football. I guess we, we weren't able to assess that in the summertime. And we stick him in, and you beat Miami. You take North Carolina to six overtimes and win. You take Notre Dame down to the final possession in South Bend and lose by a point. But then you beat Wake, Georgia Tech, and Pitt. And then, you know, 
you end the season with the thud to UVA and Kentucky with losses. But first off, the the personnel decision to go with Ryan Willis over Hinton Hooker was a fireable offense. We flash forward to 2020. Jerry Kill is gone. We're still playing quarterback carousel games. We all know about 2020 and working through COVID, doing anything you can to survive. And what I'll say, Tim, and this is what is so freaking frustrating with this staff and this football team, is they were able to survive that relatively intact. You can lose to UNC, okay? I can accept that loss. They're recruiting in the top five in the country. You're not, okay? They've got talent on that football team. Losing to Wake Forest, who's got an entirely revamped program, unacceptable. And now you're gonna top me. You're gonna top me off with Liberty. You're gonna let Liberty come into your house and destroy you. They outcoached them up and down. They outplayed them, and you you made an embarrassment. You further embarrassed your program. I don't know how you can continue embarrassing it any further, but you did. Because you let Liberty come into your house and end you. I mean, where does Virginia yeah. Tech football go from here? We haven't even talked about that, the other question. factors, Tim. Media media personality with Fuente. Shutting off access Ooh. to the program. Recruiting is trash. One. The Baylor flirtation and refusal to even talk about it. And now we're not even really taking accountability for what, what happened against Liberty. I don't know yeah. where to go, but what I do know, Virginia Tech is a proud football program. I think their fans have, have <laughs> they've, they've lost their way a little bit. Not all fans, because I, I expect certain things to, to occur. I need to be able to say with confidence that if I take Virginia Tech and stick them in any non-Power 5 football conference across the country that I think they go undefeated and win that conference. And Virginia Tech is not even close to that today. <laughs> not even close. No way. Every not game close. is 50-50. Even the games against programs like Liberty, who literally have eight three-stars. And we make fun of three-star you. We make fun of it. And throw that top 25. I've seen people talking around saying, well, this 25. isn't Liberty. This is a top 25 no, Liberty program no, like hell. No, it's not. Like hell. I mean, you, again, that's just, that's being, that's being a lazy, a lazy fan, a lazy onlooker. Four and 28 against six teams this year. That was their combined record. Four and 28. That's not a top 25 FIU, program. they lost, they almost lost to FIU. So where are we at? Two points. And, you know, I know there's Fire Fuente, Fire Fuente, Fire Fuente. It's not going to happen. So stop talking about I w- it. Hell, Justin, I wish it was that easy. It's just, it's not I going wish to it was happen. that cut and dry. Virginia Tech has a $50 million budget deficit because of COVID-19. And you think they're going to pay Fuente $10 million to go away? No way in God's green earth is that ever happening. So until that buyout comes down, we're in a lame duck coaching situation and we can't do anything about it. So two things are going to happen. One, we hope it turns around and Fuente's the guy and, you know, he was jerking us around for five years. I think the likelihood of that happening is, uh, is very low. Or the latter, which is 
you hope by the time he leaves on his own and or we're able to pay him to go away that we do have something left in the cupboard. And until then, it's just going to have to be a buckle up, wait and see what happens. And that's unfortunately the sad reality of Virginia Tech football. And I'll be quiet now and I'll let you say something. Well, you know, it's extremely frustrating. There's themes, you know, and coming into this season, if you go and listen to our first preview podcast for the season where we talked about Virginia Tech's record, we talked about the hype surrounding the program, how good this roster could and should be. We were making predictions, and I think I settled on eight wins. And I remember thinking, after having all of that hype, I was very high on Virginia Tech. I still couldn't commit to more than eight wins because losses like Wake Forest, losses like Liberty will always be an issue for this coaching staff. I don't know what happened going into this offseason where everybody kind of gave the coaching staff a pass. I think it was the overhaul, by and large, where so many new faces were added to where people kind of forgot the past transgressions of what had gone on with this coaching staff and got so hyped up about the potential on this roster to where we lost sight of how mediocre this staff had been to this point in their Virginia Tech tenures. We had some unacceptable losses. That ODU loss was a complete harbinger for all of the crap that was going to happen and continue to happen for this football program. Outside of that first year, for me, there hasn't been a lot to write home about. That first year was really on the shoulders of Gerard Evans. I'm not sure how much of a wonderful coaching job had occurred there. Um, But these losses that just leave your head spinning, leave you frustrated, and have the coaching staff get completely worked over in the way that they get worked over in these losses continue to mystify me. But this is just a drop in the bucket of the dumpster fire that is our football program right now. And I don't take any joy in saying it. And I'm not even saying that we're going to lose to Miami because it would be totally in this staff's M.O. to come out and beat Miami. But we have major, major issues right now. One, which I see as, as, as a, a glaring issue, is their, their coaching, period, on game day. Awful, awful, awful. Um, you know, I, I'm really tired about hearing about how good Cornelson is because of how many points he puts up a game. Because if you ever look at him, situationally, he's one of the worst play callers I've ever seen. I mean, if we rewind to the game, just one specific scenario, that kind of that zone read he ran on third and six, mm. Have it in when my we notes. had to get a first down, um, it makes me sick. But that is just a microcosm because that's happening on a game-to-game well, basis here, with him. Here was my Sometimes with that play call. he scores enough to, to make that not a, not a big deal. Right. And, and I'll go ahead and let you uh, say your bit there. But I just wanted to shout that out. The Cornelson defenders, points per game, not what you want to grasp to in today's uh, college football environment. And my whole deal with that play call that you bring up, okay, and again, I'm not trying to be the guy who is dissecting every little play call, but it's third and six. You call a designed QB run behind the center, and it goes for two yards. Okay, so when you call that play, 
you're thinking, oh, this is four down territory. They're going for it. That's not what happened at all. You send your kicker out there to attempt a 50-yard field goal? Deshaun McLeish tweeted it out. What is going on with the personnel on this football team? It's Hendon Hooker or nothing else. Core Nelson has no trust in anybody, and this is the same staff that didn't give Hooker the nod at the beginning of the season. Both guys are going to play. That needs to go on the list of awful, awful, awful transgressions. But one of the most glaring is the fact that we have a quarterback the caliber of Hendon Hooker, and we've started two different quarterbacks two years in a row with a healthy Hendon Hooker. And how is that? How If you are a quarterback whisperer, because right. I keep hearing from people, Justin Fuente is an X's and O's guy. Justin Fuente is an offense guy. Justin Fuente is this. Justin Fuente is that. If Justin Fuente is a quarterback guy, Justin, how the hell does that happen? Yeah, well, here's, I mean, I can understand this year where he didn't start. There was some health questions. I'll give him the pass. Sure. There, no, no. I'm not but, talking about starting. I'm talking about not putting him back in when he was healthy. Right. That That's the question. Again, I, I would just love to understand what what is going on through whoever's head. It's got to be Fuente. It, and listen, you're the head coach. It begins and ends with you. But these situational play callings, I mean, it's third and six. You've got a nice stable of receivers. You're not super de- deep, but you've got some nice receivers. Call a play that's throwing the fo- football down the field. On third and six, if your thought process, again, if your thought process is to send the field goal unit out there. Now, yeah, if it is four down territory, I don't have a, I don't have so much issue of that play call. But it was it wasn't. No. It what wasn't you, though. What are it you, wasn't. what are you what are you doing? Try to make it me feels understand a lot like giving about up. what you were doing. Right. And so I don't want to get too lost in the weeds on that because I'm making a much larger point here, which is we get out coached it, it, not just in the losses, in the wins, we get out coached to the point where I'm concerned that Cornelson has lasted as long as he's lasted. And if Fuente is an X's and, an X's and O's guy, if he really is, he should have a huge problem with how much Hendon was worked against Liberty. And he should have an even bigger problem winding the clock and going back and checking that Wake Forest scoreline and realizing his offense, his mighty points per game offense, put up 16 points against Wake Forest. Wake Forest's defensive coordinator so thoroughly, thoroughly outcoached Brad Cornelson that everyone should be completely embarrassed. That should have been a much bigger deal than it was for that Wake Forest team. Realize they're sitting at 4-2 and two right now, but they lost a lot. They lost a lot. Shut down that offense. An offense that didn't seem like they could be shut down was completely ground to a halt by Wake Forest. Now, this wouldn't be a problem if this was year two or year three. This wouldn't be a problem if this was one of the worst teams you've had under your tenure. But this is with the highest-powered offense that you have had to this point. You got 16 points against Wake Forest. And I bring this up only to point out it happens constantly. I only bring this up to say at this point, we were not surprised when any of that happened. Justin, that was par for the course. And we as a fan base have gotten to the point now where apathy is setting in. 
We are expecting these kind of losses in this tenure because it's year five. And you know what's going to change, Justin, at this point? You know what's going to change? Absolutely nothing. No. Because we don't make changes. And when we do make changes, now this is where I, I feel kind of bad criticizing Fuente because I do father of two girls here, girl dad over there, girl dad on the other side of the mic. He seems like an amazing father and a great family man. And everything he says and everything he preaches, I truly, truly believe in. But I don't support coaches based on how much I like them as people. I I support coaches and I judge coaches on how they, they steward my favorite football program in my university in Virginia Tech. And it's just, it's not working. Right now, it is like a bad relationship where neither side wants to get a divorce and they're kind of stuck together and, and you know what irritates you about the other person and you're just kind of hanging in there and, and plugging along. But it's not working. And now, damage is being done that I think is irreversible. And that's the part that scares me. We've got a buyout, which is going to handcuff us for at least, I think, a year to two years, if not longer. You've got a recruiting scenario, which is just getting grim and more grim by the minute. So, you know, going back to 2020, which was an absolute disaster for our football program. Yes, stars don't matter. Yes, recruiting isn't the be-all, end-all. But in order to be the football program that we want to be, it's going to be imperative that we stay around the top 30 in football recruiting. But what is even more imperative than that is staying relevant in the ACC rankings of football recruiting because that's who you're competing with. That's who you're competing with regionally. That's who you're competing with on a week-to-week basis. Last year, 2020, we were 76th in recruiting. 7-6. Our ACC rank was 14. This year, fast forward, 2021, still work being done on this class. It could change. However, right now, we've improved that national ranking a little bit. But that ACC rank... 11. If we have two more years of Fuente era results, which there is five years telling you to expect Fuente era results. If we have two more years of Fuente era results, how much harder is it going to be to improve our recruiting rankings when we lose to the likes of Old Dominion? We lose to the likes of Liberty. Do you not think that gives everyone in the ACC fodder to throw against Justin Fuente. And I would feel a lot better if our head coach had recognized our weakness on the recruiting trail earlier and we used some of those positions that we made changes at this summer and this offseason and hired some knockout dynamite recruiters. We did not do that. We did not hire a proven recruiter in the bunch, on multiple openings. I was very critical then that we didn't do it, and I'm even more critical now, seeing that those non-recruiting coaches that we got can't seem to coach a defense, which I'm sure we'll get to. But this is what gives me real a real scare, Justin, is not only are we hitched to this wagon for one to two years, but with this recruiting that we've had the past two years and should expect moving forward, it's going to be two to three years before we're even fielding a competitive team again, just based on depth. Yeah. And, you know, I I think it is, uh, 
you know, do I do I want they think Virginia Tech will be back at a competitive level? And it's not to say they're not competitive today. I think where the frustration is, is Virginia Tech has, the two of their three losses this year have been because of coaching. There, there's just no doubt about it. Oh, no, flat out. And, and not Liberty only and Wake because game. of coaching, but as directly because of coaching as you could possibly be. Yeah. I mean, Fuente single-handedly, and I know we're going to talk about this because what an embarrassment. What an absolute embarrassment. Yeah. I mean, he literally directly, I mean, he might as well have lost the game single-handedly last week. It Tough breaks, um, but he might as well have. You cannot tell me, and this is why I get sick of hearing the points per game with this offense. Yeah, the offense puts up points when it's rolling. When when teams can't stop a one-dimensional offense, we are very one-dimensional. When teams can't stop that, we're fine. You can't get shut out, essentially, by Wake Forest. Yeah, That's pathetic. And that was an elite coaching job from Wake Forest because huge talent differential there. Huge. Just huge. Huge. And I mean, you could have been new to football and could have you could have told you could have seen it on the field for the first time on Saturday against Liberty and been like, Oh, their coaches did a better job. The offensive strategy we've had on. Personnel is something else I want to talk about. You know, we've talked about the quarterback position. How many times do we need to see Tavion Robinson at punt return? And I, I love him as a receiver, yeah. but I do too. The punt returning position is clearly not a fit, and the coaches keep sticking him back there. So, no, what it, are you doing? It's, it's one of those situations too where other teams have this issue. There are some teams where you see guys trotted out that aren't as explosive, and you're wondering to yourself, why is that guy returning kicks when he's not so fleet of foot, and he's a possession wide receiver? Why is he returning kicks? Because they don't muff the punt. Right. The one thing you can't do is drop the punt. And unfortunately, for Tavion, he's he's had a struggle there. And I know it's got to be a, a lot of it's mental because physically he is a gifted, gifted wide receiver. But it, it is clear, and it should have been clear long before the Liberty game, that we might have needed to find an, an alternative uh, to Tavion. And it, it wasn't done. For what reason? I can never know. And I hate it for everybody involved. I hate it for Tavion. I hate it for Fuente because who wants to, to take a guy out um, You know that, that could be struggling mentally? <laughs> but why do you do it? But you've got other players well, on the football look at team. The game it's team. not about one Of course guy. you do. And so, it's not. I mean, even, but we, shouldn't, the, we shouldn't be having this conversation right. based on what we know about Tavion to this point. But, and look at, the, look at the punt return average on the season. 1.82 yards per punt return. I didn't even know it could be that well. Wow. That's 100th in the country. Okay. If if you go back to looking at the offensive strategy, I'll, I'll call it personnel again in the first half. You had 12 carries by Hendon Hooker, three by your running backs. Three. Three attempts. Okay. 16 carries in the first half, 12 were by your quarterback. He finished with 20 of the 31. I mean, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And I mean, Hinden Hooker's been great this season. The reason we're losing football games is really not on Hinden Hooker. He had a rough game against Wake Forest. But they didn't lose the Liberty game because of anything Hinden Hooker was doing on the football field. It was because of coaching. So as far as what to expect going forward, Tim, Virginia Tech, 
once a premier football program, built in the heart of Southwest Virginia. It's now a borderline mid-level Power 5 program that's teetering, if maybe not even already there, on the brink of irrelevance. So you can put it yes. in the staff, you can put it on the AD, and I think it goes to the top of the university as well. Timmy Sands is not doing this football favor any favors, in my opinion. And that's also part of the problem. And we could spend an entire podcast on that, but I wanted to be sure to bring that up because he does not seem to see the value in creating a high-level football program. And I mean, hey, that's on him, but you know, I, maybe somebody should give him a little bit of a history lesson. And football drives revenue for your university. Of course it does. So, Virginia Tech is what Virginia Tech is today in large part, not solely, not the majority because of, but in large part because of how well that football program played in the early 2000s and late 1990s. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know how you it, become that, president. What better marketing tool do you have? I don't know how you become president of the university and you don't have a, a conversation about football. I mean, the SEC would. You think somebody's going to go to Alabama and yeah. not value the football program there? You're kidding no, yourself. No. And listen, no. there are way there's way more to universities than sports. I get it. But what I'm saying is you've got a program that was once a premier program in college football and you're just letting it wither away and you really don't seem to care that much. So, I'd love to know what kind of assessment they've done there. Um, you know, let's talk about the game day atmosphere a little bit. And this goes back to to fans and, and their relevance. I mean, I remember when we were students, so we've talked about this before, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But game day was like a holiday. Yeah. And I went back there last year. I live far away. I live closer now, but it's not an every weekend driving distance type of deal. So I don't go to every game. I go to maybe one game a year. The game day atmosphere was an absolute shell of what it once was. And honestly, it felt like the game day atmosphere that I would expect at a program that we lost to on Saturday. Liberty. That's, that's how it felt. And that's got to change. You've got to get fans re-engaged. You've got to get people re-interested in the program. And that's going to start with coaching. That's going to start with being more consistent. You can chalk what we've seen up to 2020, but I think you're lying to yourself. In a way... I think it almost benefited the program that they lost to Liberty because had they won, not sure we'd be having these conversations. And none of the issues would have been different from what they were. They're still there. They're just not hiding as easily as they would behind a win. So again, I like Fuente. I wish him, I wish him well. I really hope he figures out how to turn it around because I think he is going to be the, the head football coach here. And he'll have my support. I'm going to support the team like I always do. But of course, you've got to have a conversation around reforming the program, a conversation around change, if you're going to get any kind of different results. Because we're saying, seeing the same thing year in and year out now. It's not getting better. Virginia Tech is just falling into mediocrity or even worse at times. So yeah. the staff has got to work on that. They've got to be better. 
let's talk about the defense for a second, and then we'll we'll jump into the oh, the Miami program. I thought Andy Bitter oh, from the Athletic. I mean, he he couldn't have broke this down any better. Okay, Hokies have missed have a missed broken tackle rate of fifteen point three eight. That's tenth in the ACC. That's fifteen point three eight tackles per game missed or broken. 3.5 yards per rush after contact, worse than the ACC, 113th out of 123 programs in the FBS. They're allowing 2.7 yards before contact, excluding sacks, 13th in the ACC. On third downs, with 1 to 3 yards to go, opposing offenses are converting 71.4% of the time. When they run it, they're 15 for 21. They're averaging 5.3 yards per carry on those plays. Opponents are also 6 for 9 on converting fourth downs when they run it and 16 for 21 overall on fourth down conversions, which is three more than anybody else in the country. That is, those are numbers I never thought I would ever see in the ballpark of the Virginia Tech football team. That's got to change. And it's 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 hard to say it's not on the coaches when you saw how the game ended last week. That was honestly no, I mean, one of the biggest gaffes I can ever recall seeing a staff make. <laughs> and it, I've been it, watching frame frame it correctly. Time. That that cannot happen after the debacle at halftime on Louisville when we somehow weren't in prevent defense and allowed a 90-yard touchdown run as time expired in the second half. I, I tweeted then. I, I would not. I, I used the, the Christmas vacation core. I couldn't be more surprised even if I woke up the next morning with my head sewn to the carpet. That was one of the worst coaching gaffes I've seen in all of my years watching, forget Virginia Tech football, college football. We had no safeties back in that scenario. None. Yeah. We didn't have them in prevent. Now, fast forward. And we'll get into Fuente's quote after this because his Fuente, the quote, his quote after this game about this specific play really irked me. Really irked me. But let's talk about the play first. So the situation, we have a field goal. The field goal's blocked. Now, Fuente says he wasn't trying to ice the kicker. However, it just so happened that his timeout got called basically in the kicker's backswing. So the field goal goes through as normal. Field goal's blocked. It's returned. Hokies win. Except, scratch that. No, they didn't. The coach called a timeout. Covering himself in glory. So that, in Fuente's mind, caused chaos. This is where we get into the quote. It caused chaos, Justin. And in and amongst the chaos, the correct defensive call was not able to be made. Now, there's not much of a call here other than make sure the cornerback is covering the wide receiver. So the scenario you have, you've got, I don't know how much time left, Justin, eight seconds, 11 seconds, something like that? Eight. Third down? Eight. Eight, maybe maybe fourth down. I can't remember. It was fourth. fourth it's six. irrelevant. Eight seconds left. It's irrelevant because there's nobody within 20 yards, 30 yards of the wide receiver. Yeah. Liberty runs a quick out, seven to eight yards. 
gets a crucial 7-8 yards added on for a field goal attempt, which went from probably a 10% chance of going through to one which now probably has a 40-50% to chance of going through. So, because defense was not played on the line of scrimmage, cornerback, safeties were all back 20 to 30 yards, this was essentially a handoff. You basically could have walked the ball to the wide receiver and told him, okay, go ahead, take your eight yards and go out of bounds. Because this was so easy for Liberty, they won the football game. Now, when I tell you this is elementary, I don't mean it in a way to be offensive to the football staff. But the fact that this error can even occur in such a high leverage situation scares the crap out of me. And it should scare the crap out of you. But compound it with what happened against Louisville. And it's enough to make your head rupture. I was sitting there screaming at my television about icing a kicker on a... Because you never convinced me that's not what happened, Justin. No, I was I mean, screaming, that's, that's why, 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 why? Yeah. Why would you try to ice a college kicker on a 60-yard field goal, let alone, let's call him a below-average college kicker? Statistically, oh, he's terrible. His numbers But even awful. amongst the chaos of me cursing the heavens and ripping my hair out from the follicle, yeah. I was able to identify, as soon as the image came across my screen, well before they snapped the ball, that there was a major, major misalignment on the defensive side. There was no panic on the Virginia Tech sideline. There was no waving. There was no hand-wringing. Nothing. The play was executed just like you thought it would be. Eight-yard out. Easy-peasy. Done. No arguments from the Virginia Tech staff. No screaming. No waving. No flailing. It was just like they never noticed, Justin. Yeah. They never noticed that they made one of the biggest mistakes I've seen on the college game and lost the game single-handedly just in the same manner as the gaff against Louisville. Now, if you just threw those together, those two plays, this is going to sound harsh, and I don't mean it to, because I love Justin Hamilton. I love what he's done for the Virginia Tech program. And he got thrown in probably the crappiest situation a young defensive coordinator could be thrown in. And I'm not pulling punches. I mean the crappiest. To, to, To have a head coach point at you with zero really relevant defensive coordinating experience. Hardly any head coaching experience at the level, head coaching, I mean position coaching at the level. If you recall, he was our safeties coach for a year, and the safeties play did not improve. It got much worse. For a head coach to put a guy who undeniably has a bright future in that position is criminal. But that's what Fuente did to him. But if you took those two plays, packaged them up, and showed them to me, didn't tell me who the defensive coordinator was, switched the teams, I would have told you that defensive coordinator should have been fired on the spot. That's how bad those two plays were. Now, couple it with all of what... (laughs) I don't even know how to describe what we're seeing on defense right now. It is a train wreck. And the trains that collided are literally an endless chain of flaming dumpsters. And they've collided at top speed. It's a flaming dumpster train wreck at top speed. What I'm seeing on defense. Couple it with that play, and it is 
it is mind-numbing how we find ourselves in this situation. And it, and it, it, it can't happen, but here we are. Yeah, and I mean, it's, uh, it's hard to put into words. That's how bad it's been. And, uh, you know, it makes me feel bipolar as a, uh, as a fan, as a podcaster, as an alum, because, you know, how we were talking about what this defense did in week one and how it looked and how they were managing through the COVID situation. And now it's just like, you know, you just lost the Liberty. Um, yeah, it's tough. It sucks. It sucks. I mean, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing better to say about it. And I don't, I don't know how, how the staff rebounds. Um, I mean, I will say honestly, like beating Miami this week would be bittersweet for me because it shows me, how much potential this group has. And I, I know this group has potential. And I think that's what's so frustrating. Like, this is not, this should not be a bad Virginia Tech football team. It just shouldn't be. We've seen all of these guys play at a high level. We've seen all of these guys string off wins. But it's not coming together this year. And, you know, you can lose football games. It happens. It's college. But... You can't lose football games like this, and you can't lose them like this on a week-in, week-out basis. And it's not just a week-in, week-out basis anymore. Like this is, this is a proven track record now that we're seeing play out over the course of the Fuente era, and and that's that's really the root cause of my problems. And it's it's an every year thing. We're like, how could Virginia Tech look so bad? How could Virginia Tech lose by 35 to Duke? How could Virginia Tech lose to Liberty? How could Virginia Tech go on the road and lose by 14 to Old Dominion? I don't know. The only thing I know how to tell you is it's on the coaches because they are the one constant. And that's it. That's end of story. And athletic director Whit Babcock. So, who deserves a lot more criticism than I see him getting right now. And I mean, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of the Fuente contract. I don't know if Whit can step in and start making changes to his staff without his consent. That might be one way to get rid of him. Um, if that's the path you want to go down, I don't think Virginia Tech will go down that path. I don't think Virginia Tech's going to buy out Fuente. I don't think Fuente's going to have another job offer to go to. So we'll see what happens. Well, I will say this, and then this will be my last piece on it because we've got to keep this pod moving. We are in a perfect storm right now in regards to the athletic department in regards to the football program, in regards to fan support and interest. Fan support, right now, if we were actually looking at attendance numbers and we were seeing Lane Stadium, we'd probably be at 80% capacity, what I would guess based on fan interest right now. Um, the, we're in a situation where if we continue to lose, the recruiting is going to suffer and donations will dry up. We're also in a situation where we need donations. They can't dry up because we would like to increase spending and we need to increase spending in the football program. We're also in a program that needs an influx of excitement. Um, and a lot of that is due to the fact that Fuente is not exciting. There's no spark there. He's as thrilling as tapioca pudding. Um, and that's just it. That That's Fuente. That's who you're going to get with Fuente. Now, I think you could supplement that by making some staff changes and, and getting some really exciting folks in here and changing this around. But winning cures all. How we're going to solve this problem of a football program that needs an injection of excitement. 
with a football program that needs donations fueled by good results on the football field and how we're going to gain fan interest back with these results is a it's it's a terrifying problem well it's it's just not going to happen i mean you just got to exactly. your reality exactly. hat. you've just you've got to I, be better i'm willing to put it on as a staff but and that's it as fans as fans we need to demand better and we have to do everything we can to deliver i mean we as in the football team the football program the athletic department specifically with badcock we can't find ourselves here and just resign to this fate or change our standards because I'm worried that's what's happening next. Oh, it's already happened. It's the apathy. That's already happened. And the way we accepted where we are to this point from Fuente is going to lead to apathy and a change of standards. And, you know, I don't think it should. I don't think it should. I realize it, it probably should, and that's a me problem. Um, but something's got to change. And yeah. I don't know what that is. But we cannot accept the fate of keeping everything the same and expecting different results. Whether that's a change at OC, a shakeup somewhere else on the staff, something is going to be needed to change. And, and that's just the way it is. Um, I certainly don't expect us to make a change right now midseason. Um, but you already got to kind of think a couple, uh, couple months into the future of, of what we're going to be looking like, what our record's going to be looking like. And this game against Miami becomes of uber importance again. Um, you know, that's just the way it is. So I'll say this to wrap it up. You know, we've, we've got a battle that we're, we're battling against perception and reality. I think a lot of the fan base thinks about the glory days of Virginia Tech football, you know, the mid-90s, the 2000s, you know, the ACC championships. But the reality is there's not an ACC championship year on that banner in Lane Stadium that's any any younger than 2011. And a lot of the guys that we're recruiting out there that are coming into the program, they don't remember the glory days of Virginia Tech football. And you're up against that because we don't have the tradition that a Miami had or a Michigan has or a Texas or an Ohio State. We don't have that to point to. We've got essentially the last 30 years of football. And, and that was the pinnacle of Virginia Tech football. So now you got guys coming in whose memory of Virginia Tech has lost to JMU when they were younger, but they probably remember. And most recently, if you're on the recruiting trail, well, this team lost to Old Dominion and Liberty. So it seems like their program is going in the wrong direction. I don't know how much longer Fuente is going to be around. It's going to be a tough sell. It's going to be a tough sell on the recruiting trail until something really changes. But... That's unfortunately the situation that we find ourselves in, and hey, that's what losing a Liberty does. It brings up all of these questions and all of this conversation around the future of the program and what the status is going forward, and you know, not going to apologize for it. The staff has to be better. They have lost the two games, two of the three games this year on the staff. Hands down, there are no doubts about it, and that just cannot happen. So, Tim, that being said, now that we're almost an hour in, let's look at the Miami Virginia Tech game this weekend. It's going to be noon yeah, Eastern, yeah. ESPN two, and I don't know what Vegas knows, but they've got Virginia Tech as a two point favorite. <laughs> well, maybe maybe Vegas is just going back and looking at uh, results 
after embarrassing losses for Virginia Tech under the Fuente administration because as much hate, as much vitriol is spewed at Justin Fuente, the one thing I think he does really well is get his teams to bounce back after a tough result. And Dwight Vick, I think I've got that in my notes. He had a really good tweet that went out, which I'll recap later. But, you know, one thing to watch is Miami had 11 guys out for COVID-related reasons last week. Um, I think it was mostly on the offensive line and in the tight end position. So we'll see what happens there, if that carries over into this week or not. But the story is the Eric King. As long as that guy's healthy and he's on the field, you know, they're going to they're gonna be tough to beat. And right now, he's on a tear. And this is the king that we expected coming into the season. Took a couple of weeks, but he's arrived. And, you know, long shot Heisman candidate at this point, but this dude is ripping it up. He became the fifth player since 2012 to have at least 400 passing yards, five touchdowns, and 100 yards rushing in one game. And he's the guy who's done it the last two times. He did it at Houston in 2018. So 430 through the air, 105 on the ground. He is literally Virginia Tech's worst nightmare. Like, you could not pick a worse matchup for the Virginia Tech football program right now than De'Eric King. And I don't know how the Hokies are going to stop him. Uh, Basically, the entire defense is going to have to play their best game of the season to have a shot. And if you look at who he's throwing to, Mike Carley, their wide receiver, he really seems to be emerging as King's go-to. He's got 18 catches for 323 yards over the last two games. And... I'd say that's very concerning if you're Virginia Tech. If you look at the run game of Miami, Tim, zeroing in on King is going to be key number one. You can't let him run all over you. And their run game started hot this season, Miami's that is, but it has really slowed down. If you go back a few games, they had 89 yards rushing against Clemson, 84 from King. They had 109 total yards rushing against Pitt, one of the better rush defenses in the country. They had 122 against UVA. Donald Cheney led, was the leading rusher with 43 yards. And then they had 189 last week against NC State, but again, 105 from King, 15 carries for 62 yards from Cameron Harris. And Cameron Harris has really been the guy who's been the disappearing act for this offense. Where has he gone over the last few weeks? And I think he is truly going to be the X factor in this game for Miami. And if they can get him going, I'm assuming they will because everybody's gotten going in the run game against Virginia Tech this year, the Hokies can, they, they can't stop anything. So if they can get the, the ground game going, I expect them to run the ball 90% of the time in the first quarter to really set the tone, and then they can see what they can do through the air. But um, that's kind of a recap of Miami's offense right now. Tim, I don't know if you've got any thoughts. Yeah, I mean, not many things. You know, I, I, we got to keep it quick, because obviously we spent the first bulk of this podcast just reaming the staff on Virginia Tech. But I remember that first game, Derek King comes in, overthrowing wide receivers, doesn't look like we thought he would given the Heisman-level play we had seen from him at Houston. And I remember seeing a lot on the timeline, oh, this Derek King is, is no good, this isn't the guy we expected, yada, 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 from all these Hokie fans watching that first game because that's who we thought was going to be our big competition to to being number two in the ACC. Um. Derek King is now playing like the guy we thought was coming from Houston. If you watched any of that NC State game, I think you were super impressed with his ability to throw. Obviously, putting up 430 yards against anybody's impressive. Um, but to see the throws he was hitting, I mean, you mentioned Harley. Harley was an absolute weapon. I thought Pope was really good. Mallory looked good. He was dropping in throws from 40 yards out in a bucket to these wide receivers in the end zone. 
absolute dimes, which we were not seeing from him in the first half of the season. Derek King is locked in. Locked in. I mean, you're talking about a guy with over 500 yards of total offense against an ACC opponent. That's scary, and it doesn't happen very often. No. Um, now, this the, the idea of this kind of player coming in to play against this Virginia Tech defense that I think has its own struggles in coverage, but really struggles when it comes to stopping big plays and tackling, couldn't come at a worse time uh, as far as matchups go. So, you know, when, when you talk about what my take is, what, what I'm feeling, what my thought is, my thought is, holy cow, Derek King's coming in here and he looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC, finally. So, Virginia Tech's rushing offense, big question mark going into this game. Is Herbert going to be good to go with the hamstring in- injury? Um, if not, you know, are we going to see a better job from the coaching staff mixing up with the running backs? You know, to, to recap last game, Blackshear had nine carries, Jalen Holston, who spelled him had two and you know the run heavy attack with hooker just isn't sustainable long term but I suspect that's what we're going to see again Um, but Miami's D has been very vulnerable against the run this season so I think the Hokies you know really will be able to move the ball on the ground and and have a good shot to control the game that way it's just going to be can they consistently sustain drives and will they be able to keep up with the amount of points that the defense is giving up because the defense is going to give up points to them if you uh if you take a look at Miami's defense, this isn't the stout Miami defense that we're used to. And I think one thing to consider here is we've almost got a Willie Taggart situation going on in South Beach where you've got this incredibly fast-paced offense and it's keeping the defense out on the field for a really long time. And their defense right now is averaging 75 plays per game. They're giving up 5.41 yards per play. They rank 55th against the run and 75th against the pass. So you mix that in with a very kind of undisciplined unit when it comes to penalties. And I think the Hokies have a chance to move the ball, put up some big points. But again, are they going to be able to score enough? I think even though Miami allows about 25 points per game, the Hokies are giving up 32. It's going to be really hard for Virginia Tech to keep pace with Miami in this game with what we've seen out of the defense this entire season. There, There is no reason to be optimistic to think that what De'Eric King did against NC State can't happen against Virginia Tech. Quite the contrary, except he may go for 200 on the ground and 300 through the air. Yeah, so there's no doubt about it. What's your prediction here? Um... You know, even with the Fuente kind of uh, trend of getting embarrassed and responding really, really well, I just see Derek King's level of play right now as being something that we don't have an answer for currently on defense. I think Miami, they have enough playmakers on defense to make it a little bit difficult for us. And I say a little bit. (laughs) There's not going to be much resistance put up by Miami, but they'll put up just enough to win this football game. You know, you got to remember Quincy Roche, who a guy that was really quiet. Hokies wanted him transfer from Temple uh, at defensive end. He went to Miami, really started off slow, but he has two sacks in the past three weeks. He's a guy that I think is going to be big for them as far as pass rush goes. Uh, you know, blades out on the edge at cornerback is good and can make some plays on defense. So I see that that unit making it hard enough 
to give Miami the win in a high scoring affair, something like 48 to 41. Um, you know, I don't think Miami's going to win by a lot, but I just don't see the pulse in our defense right now that we're going to need to have to stop a guy of Jarrett King's caliber. Yeah, you know, this this really does have the makings of a fun game. <clears throat> Unfortunately, um, you know, my weekends watching Virginia Tech are filled with stress and disappointment. So the fun aspect has really taken a hit right now. Um, and honestly, I'm just hoping they don't come out and embarrass themselves. That's really what I'm looking for here. And this is a Miami team who plays opponents close. You know, other than their blowout victory over FSU, most of their victories have come down to a possession or two. The quarterback matchup is one of the best you're going to see in college football. You know, King and Hooker, they're tied for forcing the most missed tackles among Power 5 quarterbacks. They've got 23 missed tackles each. Hooker ranks first in rushing among Power 5 quarterbacks. King is third. Okay? And here's the Dwight Vick tweet that maybe gives Hokie fans a little bit of hope. So... I'm paraphrasing here, but he had a tweet this week earlier, earlier this week, where in 95, Virginia Tech started 0-2, beat Miami the next week. 2003, bad loss to West Virginia. They go on to beat number two Miami the following week. 2011, they lose to Clemson, beats Miami the next week. 2019, Duke loss, beats Miami the next week. 2020, Liberty loss. We'll see what happens on Saturday. Do the Hokies have a shot? Of course they do. But... You know, in what would be one of the most mind-numbingly frustrating parts of Virginia Tech history, the Hokies go on to beat Miami after losing to Liberty. You know, and I think the offense yeah. is is too much, and the Hokies' defense is too inconsistent for me to have any thought that Virginia Tech will win this football game. And I just don't know how this team is going to get off the field against Miami. They struggle to get yeah. off the field against Liberty. Liberty had a four-down strategy, as should every team against Virginia Tech right now. And VT's defense just continues to give up fourth down attempts this season, 16 for 21, like we talked about earlier. So I don't need to tell you how bad it is if you're watching the games. You already know. So I don't see it for the Hokies this week. Again, I hope I'm wrong. I'm not trying to be negative Justin over here. But I think Miami rolls in this one, and I don't think it's within a possession. I think it's around 55-38, and they put up a pretty big number on a defense that – um, is in a pretty bad state right now. So yeah. that's unfortunately the the reality. I don't know where this two-point favorite uh, is, is coming into play. You know, maybe we'll, we'll I, I hear that either. on Saturday. No There's got to be something that's driving that uh, because it's not performance on the field. So, um, yeah. Any, yeah. any final words on that? No, I mean, just... The defense, I think right now, uh, Justin Hamilton is one of my biggest criticisms of what he's done is I think he's running a scheme right now that he's kind of trying to force a round peg in a square hole in the sense that we don't have the players that have the lateral ability to play in the scheme that he wants to play. I think it exposes our lack of speed at linebacker. And if there's one team that you don't want to have that problem with, it's against Miami and an offensive coordinator like Rhett Lashley who is going to push that tempo. So expect to see some tired legs out there. Um, yeah, and I'm with you. Usually the best cure to a broken hokey heart is seeing green and orange on the other sideline. But right now, with all of these pieces that are missing and the chickens that are scattered, I, I just don't see Virginia Tech putting up uh, a win as badly as, as they need it right now. And, and 
you know, this is a football program that needs wins in the worst way. Um, I think it'll be close. I, I really do. There's just something about the way that we play after these kind of kinds of losses that, that gives you some kind of granule of hope that we'll come out there and put up a fight. But uh, it's not going to be enough in the end. I just I, I don't think we have the answers on the roster. So let's uh, let's run through last week real quick in the ACC. So you know we talked about Miami and their win over NC State, forty four forty one. Um, Bam Knight had a nice game, 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. I thought Bailey Hockman played pretty well. A critical interception there at the yeah. end of the game, which really kind of cost them. But um, I thought it was a good fight from the Wolfpack. They dropped to 4-3. and three, But, uh, you know, I still think if you're an NC State fan, you're pretty happy with how they played this season. No doubt. No doubt. Notre Dame, 47. Clemson, 40. I got to tell you, I have to give Notre Dame credit in this one. It looked like Clemson had finally overtaken them, and Ian Book leads one of the more impressive drives down the field to tie the game and force overtime. Eight plays, 91 yards in 86 seconds. Each team traded touchdowns in the first overtime, and the Notre Dame defense... Held it in the second. Kyron Williams ran it for a score, one of his three scores on the day, and in typical 2020 fashion, everybody storms the field, which uh, was unbelievable. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, yeah. if you're if you're the Irish, you've got to you've got to be holding your head up high. You've had a lot of ups and downs this year. You've had a lot of inconsistency, but I think you know we knew they had a pretty good offensive line. We knew they had a strong running game. What we weren't seeing was that vertical down the field passing attack, and that's exactly what we got out of Ian Book when it mattered most. And I don't know what it is with Ian Book, Tim, but that dude has got a clutch gene like no other, and it's why <laughs> yes, he does. Notre man. Dame is so hard to beat at home. Yeah, dude, he, he's clutch. Uh, Kyron still doing Kyron stuff, um, you know, and ukulele, uh, ukulele. I think that's his name. I can't remember how to pronounce his name. I think maybe I'm just got the word ukulele stuck in my yeah. mind, and I'm kind of applying it to his name. You know who I'm talking about, the Clemson quarterback that is the size of a drink machine. Um, man, he throws some frozen ropes, doesn't he? He The guy's got, got like no touch, but man, can he hum it a in Jamar, Jamarcus Russell type of arm. Yeah, he does. I, I hope, I there's, hope there's his uh, no touch. You know, Internal motor is better than Russell's is, but man, he has got a cannon. But yeah, <laughs> just a, yeah, dude, he's got a bazooka. Um, you know, but with Trevor Lawrence, I think obviously Clemson wins this game. So if you're a Clemson fan, you're kind of feeling a little bit hard done. Uh, but Notre Dame still expected them to lose by multiple scores, and they came out there and played really well. Um, you know, and good on them for doing it. I know if you're into contract tracing, though, that or contact tracing, the end of that game probably gave you a heart attack. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think Notre Dame plays this week. I if nobody tests positive for COVID, that'll be unreal, unreal. But uh, yeah, well done um, with the mask wearing, I guess in that yeah. case. But good win for them. You know, Brian Kelly looking good, um, and, and like you said, Ian Book, man. There's just something about him. Nothing on you know really jumps off the page at you about wow, Ian Book is just great at X. But he's got a, he's got that that clutch gene and his ability to extend plays with his feet, just coming in clutch for Notre Dame right now. UNC all over Duke, fifty six twenty four. Pitt upends FSU and Kenny Pickett's return, forty one seventeen. Tamaron Terry, by the way, no longer with the program. FSU star receiver. Uh, one surprise was Boston College and Syracuse. Only a sixteen to thirteen win for BC. They're coming off that impressive game against Clemson, but. Relatively flat against Syracuse. Uh, they held on to win by three. Uh, David Bailey 
his first 100-yard game of the year, 25 carries, 125. And then the uh, there he is. The Louisville-UVA game was postponed because of a Louisville COVID issue, which is going to be made up this week in Week 11. So let's look ahead to that, Tim. We've got Wake Forest in North Carolina, number two Notre Dame at Boston College, Louisville at UVA, Pitt at Georgia Tech, and FSU at NC State. So uh, what really jumps out to you there? Uh, you know, and Miami, Virginia Tech jumping out, it it just breaks my heart that is as big of a rivalry and as a rival that means so much to me that we're going in on such a low note, given what we expected this season to be. It's just hard to really swallow that pill. Yeah. Um, so kind of the lack of enthusiasm there is, is what really sticks out to me. As far as other games, I think that Notre Dame-Boston College is one to watch after such a large win over Clemson. You know, this is one of those famous letdown spots. And I think Boston College is a good team. There's a rivalry there with Notre Dame. Um, so it'll be something fun to watch. And, and it wouldn't surprise me to see Boston College win that game. But, you know, I wouldn't pick it. But if, if I saw that scoreline flash across, wouldn't surprise me. Um, Florida State, NC State, I think will be fun. I think that's going to be closer than the Vegas experts predict as NC State's defense is really, really hitting a rough patch. Uh, but, you know, not a lot outside of that. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised the uh, the Miami-Virginia Tech game, which is clearly the best game on this slate, is not the 7.30 ACC Network matchup this week. But um, probably a good thing for, for Hokie fans out there that don't want uh, to see their program embarrassed on national television. Uh, doing lines, Tim. Uh, I personally Woof. went two and two last week, so I've regained the lead from you. Boo. You went one and three. Uh, I had UNC and Pitt as wins. I lost Boston College and uh, the dumpster fire that is Michigan. Uh, you had the FSU, Boston College, and Boise State lost. Boise State got upended by BYU, and you you also had the North Carolina win there. So. Uh, thirteen and twenty-two overall for me. Twelve, twenty-two, and one for you. Since you're uh, since you're in last, I'll go ahead and give you first dibs on the first pick here. Well, you know what really hurts, Justin, is I think a monkey picking names out of a hat would have a better win percentage than either you or I do to this oh, point there's in no the season. Doubt. Which I'm thinking about getting like a pet goldfish to. and seeing <laughs> what side of the bowl he swims to for the pick, and that's how right. I'm going to do it. Right. Well, look, this just speaks to the unpredictable nature of the ACC. So what we're trying to do scientifically cannot be done. But we're we're here. We're going to try it anyways, right? It's the quest for 500. We want to close out strong. I'm going to start needing uh, some 3-1, and 4-0 and type outings. So in order to start strong, I'm going with the game I feel the most confident in. And that's, uh, let's see here. I want to make sure my line is correct before I say this. It may not be correct. Let's see. Yes, it is. I'm going to go with... So, is Louisville-Virginia this week now that Duke and Virginia got canceled? Uh, Louisville-Virginia got postponed last week. And so they're playing okay. this week. But it's it's being played this Correct. week, though, right? Okay, I just want to be sure I had that right, because I know Duke and Virginia was supposed to be this week. Right, that got originally. moved originally, yeah. So the line right now on Virginia-Louisville right now is, is three-point favorite to Virginia. I want the opposite of that. I really like Louisville in this game. I think Virginia is playing well, but I, I think they're riding a little bit higher than maybe they should. And I think that that offense for Louisville is kind of the way you want to beat 
Virginia is to run right at them, in my opinion. Um, and I think Louisville set up just to do that. So I'm going to take plus three on Louisville against UVA. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take plus 13 and a half on Wake Forest against North Carolina. I think uh, certainly think North Carolina wins the game, but I think Wake has been keeping it close with just about everybody this year. So I thought a two, almost a two touchdown differential was a lot. Uh, so I'm going to throw throw a little pick over there at the Demon Deacons. Perfect. I love when we pick opposite sides of the coin. I can pick up a game here. Going UNC minus 13 and a half versus Wake. Um, you know, I think Wake at four and two kind of is a little bit worse than their record indicates at this point. Uh, you know, I think UNC definitely one of the better teams in the ACC and certainly one that I think is built to beat the spread. Um, so we're talking about, you know, or cover the spread in this case. We're talking about 13 and a half point difference. That's two touchdowns. Give me Sam Howell, UNC, two touchdowns all day over Wake Forest. So UNC. Minus 13 and a half versus Wake. Uh, my next pick is going to be Pitt minus six and a half. Um, they played much better last week with Kenny Pickett, uh, who had been out a few weeks with uh, with an ankle injury. I think Georgia Tech has been struggling quite a bit over the last few weeks. I feel like uh, six and a half is enough to uh, to make me go Pitt on this one. Yeah, and same same here, taking the same pick. Right? I see minus seven right now, but it could be minus six and a half uh, for Pitt. Like you, I see Pickett getting enough done. And I think Georgia Tech just offensively, too many turnovers in a defense that really could use kind of a boost as they've had some pretty major attrition in Pitt with Paris Ford hitting the bricks. Um, you know, I think they're going to be looking to capitalize on some potential turnovers there with Georgia Tech. I think they'll get them. I think seven points is about what I would expect. Uh, if not a little more. So maybe a 10-point win, Pitt. So give me Pitt minus 7 versus Georgia Tech. My last ACC pick of the week, it's going to be NC State minus 7. I think, uh, you know, I'm not going to put any value into what's-its-face, Florida State, um, the Tamron Terry departure. Who knows what's going on in that locker room? You just got upended by a pretty bad Pitt offense. I like NC State to score um, and keep this game Further away than one touchdown. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. That's fair. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out what conference I don't suck at picking. That's not the ACC, which I also suck at picking. Um, SEC was not very good to me. The Big Ten continues to be a, kind of hard for me to figure out, but I'm going back to the well. Um, you know, I loved what I saw from Indiana in that first game versus Penn State, who may, in fact, be overrated, it seems, to say the least. Uh, but Indiana versus Michigan State, a Michigan State team that just doesn't seem to be putting it together this year. Uh, I like what Indiana is going to do. You know, I, I think that they'll beat the seven point spread they have right now. So Indiana minus seven versus Michigan State is going to be my pick. Uh, lock it in for the Fighting Hoosiers of Indiana. Uh, I had Maryland plus twenty five and a half against Ohio State, as Maryland has been uh, just shocking the world this year. But that game just got canceled, so. I am going Skirt. to take one good team in our household, Southern Methodist University, against the <laughs> Tulsa. What are what are Tulsa? The Drillers? What do you call Tulsa? Golden Hurricane. Golden Hurricane. Golden Hurricane. So the Drillers are their minor league baseball right. team, I believe. That's right. I've been to a minor league baseball game there. Um, two oh, okay. and a half point underdog is the SMU Mustangs. I am going to go SMU plus two and a half to pull the upset. Must be nice to marry into a powerhouse football program like SMU. Yeah, I mean to really kind of come back from you know everything that they've been through, you know the death penalty, and to really just be 
you know, a national power these days is impressive. So, well, you know, I married into a, a VCU uh, family. Yeah. So, if my math is correct, VCU probably going to end up beating Virginia Tech in five years at this rate. Well, I mean, hey, so, Moali Mo Cox, NFL. That's right. If only he had played tight end or defensive end for the Rams, you know, that would have been something special. I think they have a football program, or at least they're talking They've about They've been talking maybe about maybe a football program up. for about 20 years. Hasn't happened. Um, they need they to. They do. They do. I mean, you've got the diamond up I mean, there. The talent. You know, bulldoze the diamond where the uh, flying squirrels play baseball and, you know, try to build a new stadium. They've been trying to get that done for years and, you know, for whatever reason, certain people balk at that idea. Um, but yeah, yeah. If you've been to the diamond, you know, it needs a very, very good refresh. That's for sure. <laughs> Maybe that's just the refresh then. But anyway, something to look forward to in five years. If you're a Rams fan, uh, you know, they probably have Virginia Tech's number at some point down the road. So there's Ooh. no doubt. So that's our show for today. Uh, thanks for, uh, thanks for sticking with us. Hopefully we didn't ramble too much in the, uh, in the Liberty conversation. I ran out of water, so I'm about losing all of my voice to, uh, to finish this show out. But yeah, disappointing times. I mean, you know, victory cures all pain. Uh, there's still going to be underlying aftermath there, but if Virginia Tech can somehow rebound and, you know, pull a win out of their hat against Miami, I think that would make everybody feel better. Um, I'm not even going to talk about the ACC championship picture. Um, what I will say is, you know, Miami's chances took a major hit last week with Clemson losing. Um, they were really probably hoping for Clemson to win. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. If Boston College can pull the upset against Notre Dame, you know, hey, there's that ACC wheel of doom that we all love to see. But, uh, you know, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for being a part of this. And, uh, Tim, why don't you tell everybody what they can do for us? Um, try and remain positive and take those positive feelings over to the review section of Apple's podcast app and leave us a five-star review. And you know we'd appreciate it. Obviously, we need some cheering up. Um, continue rooting for your Hokies. Continue to interact with us on game day. Leaving those messages and going back with us on Twitter really is, is really cool for us. We enjoy that. Uh, find us on Facebook, Twitter, wherever else. Podbean. Justin, what is Podbean? Podbean is basically the uh, our portal for hosting the RSS feed and sending it out to all okay. of our podcast Ooh. channels. Perfect. If you want our RSS feed, which... Well, Sounds you can go fancy. on Podbean and I listen to it. I can tell you it. exactly what it is. It's yeah, basically it's like a radio signal listen to it. for podcasts. That's what it is. It's like a radio signal for podcasts. You heard it from the man himself, parched Justin Cochiola. I am also parched Tim Hirth. We are extremely down on the Hokies football program, but still support your Hokies. Support the football team. Give us five stars. Support the, the coaching go staff. Give us five stars. You know, e even though we're all frustrated with where this coaching staff is, we still got to root them on. We still got to support them. And we're going to continue to do that. And maybe, just maybe, we'll be talking about a win over the Hurricanes next week. But that is all for us and this show. Yeah, and I saw somebody leave a five-star review last week with the name, I'm submitting a review. So I appreciate that. Um, that made me feel like you did it specifically for us. So whoever you are out there, <laughs> we love you. Thank you, whoever you are. You know, you know who you are. Yeah, exactly. So that's our show. We will talk to you guys next week. Hopefully it'll be brighter days, sunshine and rainbows. But until then, see you guys later. Have a good weekend and go Hokies.